Revelation chapter 21, verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there was no longer or is no longer any sea. May God add a blessing to the reading of his word, now to the preaching of his word. Gracious Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, be with us now as we consider your your eternal word. Give us, Lord, minds that understand. Give us, Lord, hearts that, that beat, that are inflamed, Lord, to be devoted to you and minds as well. And dear God, give us hands and feet that obey, not just lips that profess, although that is good. Let us, Lord, let us, Lord, walk in concert, hands and feet, with our, with our confession, with our reason, with our passions, Lord. I decrease as you may increase, Lord. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing unto you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Well, good morning, saints. I greet you in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I am thankful for the opportunity to follow up on the sermon that I preached last week on happiness. I say follow up because I received some some interesting and I think helpful comments and questions throughout the week that assisted me in preparation to, I think, be clearer on certain parts. The aim of last week's sermon, and I might say, I might dare to say, the aim of every sermon, the aim of of not only last week, but, but possibly the aim of every sermon, is the same. It is to loosen our grip on the things of this world that we are clinging to, and by the grace of God, reach out to Almighty God, wherein or in whom we find our highest joy, our greatest delight, and who is our ultimate source of happiness. I might go out on a limb and say, that's the point of every sermon, for those who trust in Christ. As we have been saying, The highest joy of what we have just read in Revelation, this merging of heaven and earth, the highest joy will be that we will see God and be with God in in the fullest sense. We will see God and we will be with God in the fullest sense. Pastor Isaiah will speak on the, the, the vision of God next week, Lord willing. In this seeing God and being with God, we will know Supreme blessedness. We will know um, perfect joy. We will enjoy perfect beatitude. Listen to this. Forever, apart from sin and unopposed. Apart from sin, sin will no longer be in our members. Sin will no longer be among us, which means sin will no longer oppose us as well, both within and without. We will live the blessed life to the full in the fullest sense of the word, right? Beatitude is something that we have been granted now. I mentioned beatitude last week. Um, Exodus chapter twenty is giving us God's law, which is how to live beatitude, how to live blessed life. Matthew chapter five through seven, Christ is commentating on beatitude. What does it look like in the fullest sense? It is the God kind of life that has been granted to us now. Though it is opposed by the world, the flesh, and the devil, it is right now yours. You can live the blessed life, though it is opposed, you can live it now. You need not wait. In the new creation... Again, we shall without end and without sin live the blessed life. Praise be to God. It will be granted to us in full. Upon our vision of God, we will know in fullness beatitude, fullness blessedness. Does not mean, though, that we should not seek to live the blessed life now or that the blessed life should not be mirrored in our life now. 
beatitude is something that we should be advancing in. The blessed life, and I'm going to get to the word in a moment, but I'll just say it now. A life that is completely devoted to God is something that you do now. And it's also something that you advance in now. Why? Because you're not perfected in it yet. But you must advance in it. And it takes and requires moments like we just did of, re of reflecting, contemplating, and then confessing and repenting for, for us to go, there are areas of my life that I'm not advancing in. Specifically, spiritual life. I'm not saying, I, I should be advancing for... Oh, just that so you guys know, I don't have any points for the sermon. I'm just going to talk for the whole thing. Um, I, I, I should not be looking at my life and going, I really should be getting a raise in, at my work right now. That's not the kind of advancement I'm talking about. If that happens, then praise God. But when I'm speaking about advancement, I'm not saying, sorry, Mario, I just looked at you. I'm not saying, these 24 inches, they should be 28. I need to advance in that. Fine, you might be able to do that. And that's good, but that's not the kind of advancement that I'm talking about right now. Nor is it the kind of advancement that God calls us to. The pursuit of God and the life that God has called his people to live starts now, as you confess, but it also is challenging, isn't it? Living a blessed life, living a life that is devoted to God, is challenging. There are things that are calling out from within us to follow and things that are calling out from without us to call uh, to them. Things within us calling us out and things outside of us calling us to. Does that make sense? That's the challenge. We, as believers, know we should be living the blessed life. Know we should be living a life devoted to God. I'm using that word, okay? I'm going to be saying blessed life, beatitude, devoted. These are all going to be interchangeable words that all mean for me the same thing, okay? We know we should be doing this, but we are challenged. But listen to this. We're not always challenged by bad things. We're being called out, called to things, and things from within us are calling, are, are drawing us to actually good things. In fact, really good things. But as we learned last week, just not the highest of good things. We've learned that the things in creation are good. Mountains, trees, stars, sun, moon, all good. But we're not to be devoted to them. We're not to be devoted to, we're not to be sun worshippers or, or moon worshippers. We're not to devote ourselves to the ocean wholeheartedly. They are good. Enjoy them. But you can't devote yourself to them. Heart, mind, soul, and strength. We have been created to, they have been created to declare the, those things. To declare the majesty, the power, the beauty, the kindness, and the love of God. They're calling us to worship God, not worship them. Meaning, they're calling us to be, to be devoted to God, not to be devoted to them. The things in the earth have been given to sustain us and also for us to enjoy, but not for us to find our highest joy in them, rather to see, rather, they are given to us to see that there is something in them that is teaching us about God. They are good. But they are only good insofar as we learn what they are pointing us to. They're good, yes, enjoy them. But you will find them to be even more enjoyable when you see what they are, the greater joy they are pointing us to. God. I'm going to get to that in a moment. The goal of last week was to redirect our gaze from the things that we are, I'm, I'm, I need to slow down, but the things that we are fixated on. That's another way of saying devoted to. Here, and to turn our eyes to the one in whom all true joy and blessedness is found, that is God Almighty. In the new creation, God alone will be our enjoyment. Our senses touch, taste, smell, if, we, if all of those things are present. I don't know why, if they wouldn't be, because we're having bodies. But let's just say for, for, for the sake of this sermon that they will be. All of those things will be satisfied in God. Let me ask you, does that make you happy? Or, or does that make you say, you mean no chocolate cake? You mean no um, 
No ribeye steak. Some of our mouths are already watering just saying those two things, right? You mean no pizza? No pasta? All these things? None of these things? No cherry lemonade? That that my joy is just going to be in God? And here's what we do. We go, I heard somebody say this in our church recently. And, and they meant it in the most sincere way. So is it just going to be, and they almost said it with, with kind of disappointment. It's just going to be like a never-ending worship service. And they they meant it sincerely. Isn't that what we sometimes conclude when we go, what's, what's heaven like? You mean like a non-stop church? And we go, man, man. I'm falling asleep in church right now. Well, it's going to be better than it is, right? We go, oh, okay. And we can't even fathom. We can't even plumb the depths of when we go, how much better? Behold, Revelation 21.3, the tabernacle of God is among men. And he will dwell among them. And they shall be his people. And God himself will live among them. Dear saints... God will be the fulfillment of all of our happiness. And isn't happiness what you want most in life? Isn't that the pursuit of all that you do? Aren't you pursuing all that you do, every act that you are doing, aren't you pursuing as its end joy? The answer is yes. And the reason why you're pursuing joy and why of us, why many of us feel so um, unfulfilled is because we're putting our devotions into other things. Why at the end of the day we go, I know this is supposed to make me happy, but it's not. Why is that? I, even for the believer, I do believe in God, but why am I not happy? I do believe in God, but where's my joy? I do believe in God, but I don't feel like I'm living the blessed life. Amen. You want it because it's, been, it's what you've been made for. You, you say, I do want that. It's because that's actually the very reason why you exist, is to be happy, but to find it in God. You will remember the analogy of goods that I used last week. Remember this? There's this basket of goods. People um, believe that exercise is good, so they they put it in a basket of goods. And exercise is good. Paul says that there's value to it, yes? Family is good. It's it's an institution of God. Put it in the good basket. Me- meaning, give your give some of yourself to it. Give some of yourself to it. Keeping your body up. Give some of yourself to your family. Um, reading. And we can go through a basket of them, right? It's good. Give, your, give some of yourself to it. Every one of our acts arises out of a funda- fundamental thirst for that which is good. You see good in it. You choose it. And you think that its end equals happiness. I do this because in the end, it will satisfy. It will bring joy. I said this last week. The the pot at the end of the rainbow for all of our acts is joy. We are pursuing these things because we want happiness. Every action we are seeking, it arises out of a perception of something that we think is good. We see it good. But we see it good insofar as it will bring us happiness in the end. We don't choose something if we don't perceive it to be good. We act according to that which we have been enlightened, though, to know is good. I said uh, this last week. Our acts of choosing good is based upon what we have been allowed to know is good. Follow me. When you choose a thing, you go through a process of reasoning. Whether you think you're on autopilot or not, you're choosing. Whether you think, I don't know, I'm not, I'm not thinking, I, you actually are. 
You are reasoning. You might be kind of naturally doing it, but you're doing it by way of reason. Let me, let me, let me be very careful about it. Reason and will are two distinct things. They work together, but your will is subjected to your reason because the will follows the reason. Every act is followed by some kind of reasoning. Are you with me? Isaiah will give you more on that debate. We are reasoning, evaluating, and then concluding. What's the good that I'm going to choose? And it will always depend upon what kind of mind you have. A debased, depraved mind will choose goods, but their highest good will always end with earthly things. The, now, let's be very careful about where we're going. Watch. The depraved, debased mind chooses goods. But at the end of their rainbow, their, their highest good is an earthly good. Does that make sense? We're all choosing goods. But the unbeliever chooses the good that is found, highest good, in earthly temporal things. But it's not like the unbeliever doesn't choose good things. Uh, saints, can the unbeliever do good? Yes. Can the unbeliever choose good things? Yes. We are not hyper-Calvinist. We do not believe that no one can do any good whatsoever. No, not, so, not at all. The unbeliever, can he love his wife and children and be devoted to them? Sure. You know plenty of unbelievers who love their wives or husbands and their children. That's good. Can the unbeliever provide for them and protect them? Yeah, some of them are our, our brothers or our sisters or our grandchildren. So we know them, don't we? And they're unbelievers, and yet they're doing good to their loved ones. That's a good thing. The unbeliever, follow this unbelieving, sees children. Here's, here's, now follow this, this ascension of good. They see children becoming successful, i.e. having good high education and high paying jobs that allow for them to attain material things, for the parents themselves being able to retire, having grandkids, taking a vacation, and then dying without paying as the good life or the highest good. Let me ask you, when you when you talk to people and about their kids, you say, how are your kids? They go, doing great. Johnny just got straight A's. Johnny's on his way to university. Johnny just graduated with a doctorate. Johnny just bought a new car. Johnny just bought a new house. How often do you ever ask someone about their kids and they go, Johnny just got saved or Johnny is walking with the Lord? Listen, we're talking about what the, the depraved, debased mind sees as being highest good and what an, a believer sees as being highest good. So when someone asks you, how's Gabriel? And we go, Gabriel is actually growing in the Lord. You've just informed someone about what you are seeing and perceiving as being highest good in your life and what's highest good for their life. Pause and reflect on that. Meaning, for the unbeliever, they view the outcome that I just told or something similar to it as being Hey, what more can a guy ask for? Is there anything that I have just said that we would also not like for our families? Don't you want your kids to, to do well in school, to get a good education, to get a good job? Don't you want, don't you want to know that they're taken care of, that they're well, their jobs will pay for them to have a, a, a good, not just not just in making it life, but a prosperous life. But prosperous in, in whose estimation? I would say I would want all of my kids to have those things. I would. But if they had all those things and didn't have Christ, then I don't want them to have all those things. 
Or if they have those things and it's taking them away from Christ, then I don't want them to have those things. Or if they have all those things and they're, they're more devoted to one than the other, then I would strongly say to my sons or to my daughter, those things are good, but they're not the highest good. And you cannot devote yourselves wholly to them. Here's why. They're going to betray you in the end. Good things, but they're going to betray you in the end. The point is that the unbeliever has a mind that reasons that the life that I've just explained is the highest good. The good that they do is not the highest good, though. They do good. But when we say they can't do good, it's they do no good to the glory of God. They do good only to the glory of themselves, which is why we say they do no good. They're not aimed toward the highest good. Whereas the believer has been given the mind of Christ. You have the mind of Christ. Those aforementioned things, they are good. Trust me, they're good. But they're not the highest good. Listen, and if these two goods come in conflict, the believer chooses the highest good rather than the lower good. The believer chooses God rather than the earthly things that only satisfy for a time. What do I mean by two things coming in conflict? If your job conflicts with your devotion to God, the job has to be changed. It doesn't mean you become unemployed. It means you find a different job. Someone goes, it's the only job I have. It's not the only job in the world, though. It's the only thing that you can do. If it's conflicting with you and your devotion to God, you choose God. Saints, we can trickle this down to every single thing in our lives. If it, uh, if it conflicts with your church attendance, then you choose God. Amen. It's the devotional life. It's the life that says, I'm pursuing beatitude at the cost of worldly goods. Because this is my greatest and highest good. Yeah. If it conflicts... In that it attempts, let's take your job. If it conflicts in that it attempts to silence your witness. Uh, let, uh, sorry, I looked at the, 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 the process. Anthony's a good example. Sorry, brother. Anthony was working in the oil fields. Anthony was saying, it's taking me away, body and devotion from God. He was looking at other men who were in that same field and saying, I don't know if I want to be that man when I'm that age. And by the grace of God, he made a decision to say, I'm going to quit. I'm going to, to trust in God. And thank God for my wife, who's also a helpmate. And I'm going to devote myself to a trade. And in the process, I'm also not going to allow it to take me. I'm going to pursue something that's not going to allow me. That's not going to take me away from my devotional spiritual life. And now God has blessed him with that. Or, or a job that tries to silence your witness. Or silence your convictions. Like Sister Hilda, who was working for a good job. Kaiser Permanente. And yet they tried to go against her convictions. They were at times opposing her on the job. Where she felt like, I'm constantly working around unbelievers, which we do. But they're affecting my spiritual life. I will leave this job and choose God and pray that God will provide. And guess what he did? It takes faith, though, doesn't it? To believe that this is actually the higher good, even when it costs me, for a time, earthly goods. Do you believe that Anthony and Hilda for a time were like, hey, it's dollar menu at McDonald's today, but we're going to be all right. I'm sure they did. God's going to provide. It's going to be frozen foods today. You get this half, I get that half. And I'm sure they probably measured. You got more than me today, right? But the Lord provided. And now they're in a place where they, I believe they're flourishing in the Lord. And also God has provided for them in prosperous ways. Are they living on a hill? No. But the Lord has provided for them every step of the way. They are living the attitude because at the end of this, they see that, that their greatest joy will ultimately be completely fulfilled in Christ. 
The Lord said, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other or be devoted, there's the word, to the one and despise the other. You can't serve them both, though. You can't serve God and wealth. He's not saying you can't have them both. He's saying you can't devote yourself to both. Can you have money and God? Yes. But when one comes in conflict with the other, you always choose the highest good over the lowest good. Whichever one you choose is your God. What about families? Families are good. And there can be conflict in families, can't there? A family member who desires to keep you from your devotion to God. The child whose mind is yet futile and opposes your faith. Jesus says about this, don't think I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter-in-law, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's foes will be the members of his own household. Families are good, but ultimately the one who has the mind of Christ will choose the highest good, even upon, even over and against those who are good or those whom they love in their family. They will say, I love you, but I love Christ more. You are my temporal family. You are my for now family. But I will be with him forever. And I, I don't idolize my children. I don't idolize my wife. I can't idolize my brothers and my sisters physically nor spiritually. I find my greatest joy in my God. And when two conflicting goods come against one another, we choose the higher good. Dear ones, when you are acting in life, you're making decisions, you're choosing. You're choosing the thing that you think will make most will make you most happy. And here's the thing. And for the believer, it's the thing that you think will make you most complete, most perfect. Judgment going on in your mind. You are weighing whether or not something is good for you. What does it mean for something to be good for you? Well, we're saying happiness. Yes. What does happiness equal? It equals this, Isaac, perfection. If we go, I just want the feeling of the euphoria of feeling good. It's not that. It's being perfectly content or perfected as Christ is perfected. Without need, without want, because you're finding all of your desires, all of what you've been made for in God. Keep the language happy. We choose the thing that we think is going to most satisfy, complete, or perfect us. Last week I used the example of ten cookies. Remember this? Are cookies bad? Doreen was the first one to say no. No, I will say, we, 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 no. God forbid, right? Cookies are not bad. It's a, it's, there's some strange people in the world who don't like cookies. Forgive them. But for most normal people on the earth, we love cookies. Cookies bring us delight. Now, here's the thing. We all like different cookies, don't we? Yeah? Sugar cookie, sugar cookie with frosting, um, oatmeal, chocolate chip, you name it. We can go through the, 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 the gamut of cookies, and I've got all day for that. And you do, I do, find a sense of joy when we get that good one. Because not all cookies are, are equally good, right? We'll get one, but then you get that one, you go, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And you can start to describe, you know, the, the, the crispiness of the outside, the softness of the inner, the, the meltiness of the chocolate in the chip, all that stuff, right? Now imagine this. You eat this cookie, and it's the one that I just described, and whatever one that you like. And you reason to yourself, if this one cookie gave me that much delight, imagine how much... How much more delight I would find if I ate ten of them. So you you get ten, um, and, and you might be the, the kind of person who, who gets them and then puts them in a bowl and then pours milk inside of it and just goes to town. Strange people do that, right? They are they, all together. And you just go for it with milk. Ask Tony about that. Um, instead of delight after these ten cookies mixed with the milk, you find despair. Why do you find despair? Because the thing that you ultimately devoted yourself betrayed you. It gave you a stomachache. 
You thought that you were going to find complete joy and delight in it. Instead, you found, where's the Rolex? I, I need relief from this pain of foolishly devoting my of, of foolishly devoting myself wholeheartedly to a good that I abused. It is good. But the foolish act that I made was I gave all of myself to it. Now I can't sleep. I need to sleep stand, sitting up, right? I can't lay flat because it hurts. It was meant to give you a taste of delight, but not for you to devote yourself wholeheartedly to. This is true with everything temporal. Everything created. Work, sports, hobbies, friends, family. They are all good, but they are all meant to give us a taste, a sense of the power, goodness, kindness, love, beauty of God, but not to devote ourselves wholeheartedly to because they will betray you. If you give yourself wholeheartedly to... You ever see those those young couples? They, they, they get into a relationship and that young boy or young girl just gives themselves to that relationship. And nothing else matters. They can't, they're writing their name with that person's last name. They're just completely devoted. Some of you guys did that. Completely devoted. There, there's nothing else in the world that matters but him or her. Until him or her proves that they're actually not perfect and that they will disappoint. And their world comes crashing down. Because they wholeheartedly devoted themselves, body, soul, mind, strength, whatever, to that created thing. They are meant to give us a sense. By devote, I mean giving yourself in a wholesale type of commitment. Giving yourself to that thing. Number of goods. But there is one good that is most powerful, most good. That we must give ourselves to. It is a good that deeply motivates all the other actions. It's the, the good that is highest. And all the other things come under it. And support or push us toward that good thing. Or give us a sense of that good thing. If we have this good. We have God as good. But all these other things that are not giving us a sense of, of God. We're misusing those goods. I'm going to get to what, that, what I mean by that in a moment. This good fuels the rest of your life, and all the things under it constantly point you to it. Him. <clears throat> this is the point in the sermon where we ask, what or whom are you devoted to? What or, or whom are you devoted to? What is the most powerful thing? That deeply motivates your actions and drives you forward. What is it? Who is it? It's my kids. It's my husband. It's my wife. It's my job. What? Whom? Or is it God? I'm using devoted because um, a, a dear brother asked me the question throughout the week. When, when you say um, loosen our grip on the things that we cling to here and and reach out to God. How does that look? And the word that I used was devotion. And then the scriptures began to kind of ring through my, my soul. First Kings eight sixty one. Let your heart, therefore, be wholly devoted to God. To walk in his statutes. To keep his commandments. You start thinking about the scriptures and all of a sudden they're popping up everywhere. Colossians 4, 2. Devote yourselves to prayer. Amen. Keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving, which we'll do this afternoon. Colossians 3, 12. As those who have been chosen of God, you, you have trusted in Christ, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. One might say, be devoted to God, Amen. which will produce Amen. kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, the fruit of the of devoting oneself to God is a life of beatitude. How do I know I'm devoted to God? Um, compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. They are they are fruits of devotion. Romans twelve ten. Be devoted. Listen to this to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. It's one of the ways that you show that you're devoted to God is by being devoted to one another. 
by preferring your brother over yourself. Colossians 1.16, Paul says, I urge you, brethren, listen to this, you know that the house of Stephanus, that they were first fruits of Acacia, and that they devoted themselves for ministry to the saints. Scripture is using the word devoted a lot. In Acts 2.42, those who were converted continually devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings, to fellowship, to breaking to bread, and to prayer. When we start to look at the things that Scripture says devote yourself to, they're all Godward. They're all Godward. They're all churchward. They're, give yourself wholeheartedly to what God, God says to him, to his commandments. Give yourself wholeheartedly to what? To prayer. To thanksgiving. God, what should I devote myself to? Devote yourself to one another. To a life of charity with one another. Devote yourself to a life of compassion and kindness and, and humility and gentleness and patience. God, what should I devote myself to? Devote yourself to the apostles' teachings, which we're teaching now. To gathering with the saints. To fellowship, to breaking bread. That is the Lord's Supper. Amen. What should I devote myself, God? Paul commends the church and the house of Stephanus because they were devoted to ministry. They were devoted to the building of the kingdom. The things, these things were the most powerful driving desires in, in what God calls us to and what the people of God live for. They motivated them forward. And John in Revelation is calling the church in spite of opposition and in spite of persecution to be devoted to God. Rome was taking away their goods earthly. And John was saying, but your highest good is not taken from you. If you can just get your mind off of the fact that these things, you're being invited to the party, you're being allowed to buy and sell. Even your own body, they're not the highest goods. Even if your brother or sister or mom or, or father um, betray you, they are not the highest good. Christ is your highest good and you will be rewarded. John says these things because they're the things that we know we need in life. And therefore, we attach to them a sense of completeness or fullness. But John is saying it's not found there. Let it go. If you have to, let it go. Notice the contrast. In Philippians 3, Paul describes those who are not devoted to God. Listen to this. He says, their delight is not found in Christ. But he also says, because of this, they're enemies of the cross. Not friends of the cross. He says, in Philippians 3, 18, he says, many walk. Of whom I have often told you, and now even with weeping. He says, I, I've said this to you before with tears. Because he's speaking about those who were actually among them in the church. He's saying, I said this to you before, and now I'm saying it with tears. Or I've said it before with tears. That they are enemies of the cross. Who are they? Well, first of all, the end is not happiness, it's destruction. Why? Because he says their God is their appetite. The things that the flesh desires is what they devote themselves to. And whose glory is in their shame. And they're not ashamed of it. This is what I love and I'm not ashamed of it. Their mind, he said, is set on earthly things. People who... Interesting this, uh, Scotty. He says, he doesn't even necessarily say they're killing the church. They're false teachers. He says, the enemies of the cross are those whose minds are on earthly things. Who at the end will not receive happiness because of their mind being on earthly things. In the end, they will receive destruction. The very opposite of what they think the end of the rainbow is. Amen. Not destruction, or not happiness, destruction. Delight in things the flesh desires, and, and not ashamed, but boast in them. Their minds are set, devoted to earthly things. Now again, number of goods in our basket, right? But I'd like you to evaluate 
the scriptures, what is the most desirable, powerful thing that deeply motivates our actions, drives us forward with the final goal that produces long, true happiness, what is it? Of all the things that God says devoted to, be devoted to, it's no earthly things. Don't be devoted to, to, to gold or silver. Don't be to gold. I'm going to actually talk about this. It's, we're, we're challenged by that, aren't we? The aim is to loosen the grip, to reach out, loosen here, and then open hands to reach out for God. But it's hard because we're faced with so many goods. Last week we mentioned money, prosperity, relationships, pleasures. All good, but not the highest good. So how are we to view these things? Okay, If they're good, but not the highest good, how do I view them? Two extremes that we want to avoid. Don't be a monk. Unless you're single and just want to live that life, then go for it. Don't be a monk that is abandon all earthly things. That's an extreme. Forsake all earthly goods. If you do that, you're not allowing the earthly goods to serve their purpose and showing you the goodness of God. Maybe you'll have minimal things and that's all you need. Fine. But they have a purpose. The other extreme is to give ourselves wholly to them. Eat, drink, and be merry. Tomorrow we die. Or, as believers, we can have the right view of them in light of eternity and and see them as, listen to this word, okay, as the present gift that they are. And they are given for our instruction of God in eternity. They are a present gift given to us to instruct us about God and eternity. Um, Must you work? Yes. Unless, Unless you're disabled and not able to, right? But you've been made to work. Must you eat? Yes. Uh, Can you enjoy leisure and hobbies? Yes. Can you have nice things? Yes. The challenge is seeing, enjoying, and even investing in these things with a measure of gratitude for the temporal blessing that they are. Seeing these things with a measure of gratitude, not devotion, but gratitude for for the temporal blessing that they are. And what they teach, teach us about God and eternity. What does work teach you? It teaches me that I won't have to work one day if I'm in Christ. It teaches me that there is one. Uh, listen to this. Even if someone loves their job, they must take a break every now and then, right? They, they look forward to, to a break. Even if they love their work, it's still work. But work can teach you that work does not last forever. And that the true work that does last forever that has lasting effects on those who trust in him have been accomplished by the work of Christ. When you go to work, remind yourself the the true work has already been accomplished by Christ. And there will come a day when I will rest in his completed work. When I'm off of work, I should say, thanks be to God. It's six o'clock. It's five o'clock, whatever time it is. Lord, there will come a time when I will enjoy this rest forever. Do you ever think about that when you're off of work, like, ah, I'm working, i got to go do this, or now I get to go home. Do you ever think about the spiritual implications of your being off of work? I'm done. And so is the finished work of Christ. And I will rest in that work one day. He labored so that I would not have to. His work stands forever, and his blood will never lose its power. It will remain for all those, for all time. The money that I gain from work is good, but it's temporal. It's fleeting. It cannot buy happiness, right? We can enjoy the good things that our mon- money earns, but true, lasting prosperity is found in Christ. Amen. We have been purchased, the scriptures say, by His blood. And that blood that Christ gives is more precious than silver or gold. It does not rust and it does not fade. But here's also what's precious. You are precious. The Lord says that you are more precious than silver silver and gold, and you are being refined as gold, as pure gold. These things are good, but they're meant to teach us something of the value of the blood of Christ and the value of those who Christ has purchased by his blood. We love our loved ones, our spouses, but they teach us something of the groom, the true groom, Christ, and his bride, the church. Christ has loved us. And devoted himself to us by giving himself to us. 
and we in turn devote ourselves to Him. It's what our marriages should teach us. When we're fighting and bickering with one another, if we're believers, we need to point ourselves back to Christ who has devoted Himself to us and we to Him. That love covers a multitude of sin. And we must love one another the way that Christ has loved us. Or else, what are we saying when we say that we are in Christ? As a married couple, your marriages are temporal and they're meant to point to something greater, eternal. Enjoy it while you have it. He's yours for this much time. She's yours for this much, this much time. Enjoy her. Speak kindly to her. Speak kindly to him. Be patient with one another. It's just this long. Then it's over. Remember how patient Christ has been with you. Remember how loving and merciful Christ is toward you. We often forget what our marriages are supposed to teach us. But if they show us the goodness of God in our marriages, then they're good. And we use them for their proper purpose. Our children teach us of the love of God. Last week I said to the guys, someone said, but God is sovereign over salvation. Yes, but here's also what God is. God is also sovereign and he works all things out providentially. Meaning you're saved. He saved you by sovereign grace. But then God chose to be gracious to you and give you children to put children in your home, a home where someone knows the gospel. How is God going to save them? Well, he providentially placed them in the womb of your of your wife and charged you with the responsibility to raise them in the Lord and to call them to Christ. I would say there's a great responsibility there that's been entrusted to you. You can call them to many things. Call them to be strong. Call them to be brave. Call them to work hard in their lives. But ultimately call them to Christ. First and foremost, above all things, call them to Christ. Are you devoted to God? It will be evidence in what is produced in your life. The scriptures call this fruit. I'm going to read two scriptures and then we're going to close. If you're devoted to the world, it will be shown by worldly concerns. Who's going to be um, next in the White House? What house am I going to live in? What will I eat when I'm in that house? What am I going to wear when I leave the house? We can get really we can get really caught up in this whole house thing, right? From the top to the very bottom. Jesus said. In Matthew chapter 7, if you would turn there, Matthew 7, two scriptures then we'll close, Matthew 7, about people who are concerned about these things. Matthew 7 and verse 25, for this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life. As to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor your body, as to what you will put on, is life not more than food and the body more than clothing? Question mark. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow nor reap nor gather in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them or provides for them. Are you not worth more than they are? For all of our worrying, God provides for the lowest of things, and you are the highest of things that God has created. What are you worrying about? And who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? They say, by worrying, you actually take away hours from your life. And why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the, li the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil nor spin, yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all of his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and thrown in, in, into the furnace tomorrow... Uh, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Don't worry then saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what will we wear? Here's, it, here's what he says. The Gentiles. Another version says the pagans. You might even go the unbelievers or the godless. The godless seek all these things. 
Your Heavenly Father knows everything you need. So then where should our devotion be? To earthly things? The Lord says, seek first his kingdom. And, And righteousness is what? It's beatitude. Seek his kingdom and to live as citizens of his kingdom. And all the basics, they will be added to you. See the contrast? The one sees the goods and is consumed or devotes themselves to the earthly things to the point that they're even wondering, what am I going to wear today? But the one who belongs to the kingdom is concerned about kingdom things and lives a life as one who is a part of the kingdom. What do you want? I want to be happy. I asked you, you, what are you devoted to? Here's, Here's another way to say it. What are you investing in? It's another way to say, what are you devoted to? Last one, Matthew 25. And then we'll close. Thank you for your patience. This was supposed to be a short sermon. Verse 14. For it is just like a man about to go on a journey who called his own slaves and entrusted his possessions to them. To one he gave five talents, to the other two, to the other one, each according to his own ability, and he went on his journey. Immediately... The one who had received the five talents went and traded them and gained five more. The same, in the same manner, the one who had received two talents gained two more. But the one who received one talent went away, dug it in a hole, and hid his master's money. The master entrusts life to you. And he gives it to you so that you might invest in him. And in investing in him, the end of this parable, I'm not going to read it all because it's very long. Go go home and read it yourself. The end of it all is the one who invested wisely receives more. They are rewarded for their wise investment. The one who hides what has been given to him, what he has is taken away from him and he is thrown into the eternal fire. It was an unwise investment to not invest in the master's kingdom. Saints, more could be said about, well, what does investing in the kingdom look like? Does that mean I'm a minister? Does that mean that I need to go preach? I don't, I don't have enough time in the day. But it means to live the life of beatitude. And if you want to know what that looks like, go to Matthew chapter 5 and read 5 through 7. And then read the rest of all of Scripture. And you'll get a sense of what we are to live. What kind of life is a life that looks like it is devoted to God? And may the Holy Spirit help you and give you insight into the highest good for all of our lives. Let us pray.